You guys asked for it. It's finally here. Carousel Project Inspired Merch. This collection has been on our hearts and minds for a while, and it was finally the time for us to bring it to life. Spinning Carousel Company is a pixie-dusted jewelry company inspired by theme park history and all of our most magical moments. Each piece is custom-designed to represent the unique moments in time of each of your favorite parks. Buy them now at spinningcarousel.com and use code CARUSELPROJECT for 10% off your first order. Thank you all so much for your support. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Carousel Project podcast. I'm really excited for this episode. I honestly think it might be one of my favorite that we've done so far. So uh, let's jump in. Let's start with our question. But before that, I'm Josie Maida, and you can find me on all socials at Josie Maida. And I'm Kate Killebrew. You can find me on all socials at Kate Killebrew. And I'm Epcot Adam, and as always, you can find me on all socials at Epcot Adam. Yeah, you can. <laughs> I can't see her, but I got it right on time. <laughs> My brain is slightly, um, it's just delayed today. I'm like five minutes behind mentally <laughs> as I'm thinking of a million other things. Today we are talking about Shades of Green, which actually has a really, really cool history. I knew that it did, but didn't know how cool it was until I started researching for today's episode. So I'm very excited to jump in. So our question of the day is, have you ever stayed at Shades of Green? I'll start. No, I have not, but I've driven by it. <laughs> um, I also have not stayed, although looking back, I kind of had the opportunity when someone I was dating was... I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I totally should have stayed at Shades of Green you instead. Should've. That would have been Josie. way smarter. I fumbled the bag. Um that would have been so much smarter. And I think about it all the time. I'm like, well, I don't think about it all the time. But you know what I mean. Like, I'm like, dang. <laughs> my every I, thought. My, <laughs> I wake up in the morning Shades and say, green. ah, I should have stayed at Shades of Green. <laughs> no, but I was like, dang, that was like my perfect opportunity. And I blew it. Well, at least I'm not the only one who hasn't stayed there. Just like I'm not the only one who's not on this podcast. <laughs> Adam say cut, but I blew it literally and figuratively that weekend. Ayo. <laughs> Just, I, I will definitely cut that, but yes. Or leave it in. Who cares? Yeah, or okay. leave it in. Who listens we'll to mark this? We'll mark it explicit. Wait. No, Can we mark it like a double knows, explicit? No, but my mom knows we're recording this episode because of the fact that I, I – I did stay here, so she probably would listen to this episode. <laughs> okay, we might okay, have that to one's for you, so Madre. maybe remove it. <laughs> hey, Madre says sex sells. She told me to put my boobies out there. She she knows what it is. She knows, she knows that the people are listening. Okay, now I'm definitely listen, leaving all of this in there. <laughs> okay. okay, Kate, you go because you have stayed. So I have stayed at Shades of Green. I stayed as a kid. Oh, I have. Yes. (laughs) I stayed in, you know, just to hair flip a little more. I stayed at Shades of Green before the recent, recent 20 year ago refurbishment where it like doubled in size. But I also stayed at the unofficial Shades of Green, the contemporary garden rooms that they put them in. So that's that's how I got to stay at the contemporary. The one time in my life we stayed in the garden rooms instead of staying at Shades of Green. But um, 
I, I, I had a family friend who worked for um, the military, and so they were able to get rooms. And so for two or three years, we did Shades of Green and Shades of Green version of um, Contemporary, and we loved it. So I'm wow. sure I'll talk about it more while we go over everything. You better talk about it more. Oh, yeah. I will. So Shades of Green is a resort that is currently operating at Walt Disney World, um, but it is only accessible to um, people who are a part of the military um, and to um, DOD, which said that's what it said on their website, but that means all active duty officers and enlisted members and civilian employees of the armed forces those personnel only. So it's, you know, a pretty exclusive place to stay, um, which is cool enough as it is, just because that's such an amazing concept that they offer um, something like this, affordable rooms and tickets um, for people in the armed forces. But it's also really cool because this location has a ton of Disney history and it has a really um, long legacy at Walt Disney World before it became Shades of Green. And I feel like each iteration of this hotel has been really, really interesting and cool. I agree. And I feel like um, the first two iterations are always kind of a footnote Mm -hmm. of like, it used to be called this and then it was called this and now it's this. Yeah. But there's like more details about each version. Yeah. Absolutely. So let's get into it. This (laughs) Disney owned golf resort opened in December of 1973, which 151 rooms, which is really small. Um, It was the first like non-opening day or opening year resort to open. So the Contemporary and the Polynesian opened, you know, October 1st, 1971. Fort Wilderness opened November 1971. So, you know, just a month later. Um, But the Golf Resort was the first Disney resort to open kind of after the initial opening. It was part of the um, second phase at Walt Disney World, which at the time was, you know, Magic Kingdom. And there were supposed to, I know we've talked about this in episodes in the past, but there were supposed to be other resorts closer to the Magic Kingdom. Mm -hmm. The land was never clear. There are all these ideas. I think we've talked about this on an episode before, um, but there were tons of cool resorts that were supposed to exist that never came to fruition, but the golf resort did. Um, So it's one of the oldest resorts on Walt Disney World's property. It was originally opened on day one with the golf courses and was a clubhouse while people people were golfing at Walt Disney World on the two different golf courses. And then in 1973, they expanded it with that 151 rooms to become the golf resort, which was, you know, a full resort. So people could not only just hang out at the clubhouse, but could also stay, um, you know, basically on the golf courses. Yes. And, um, you know, it's funny depending on which disney source you read and how they're trying to like you know change the light of why they created it a resort and why they changed the name but um one of the books i read um i think it was the the first decade which is like the first Mm -hmm. decade of walt disney world they were saying that um it was originally supposed to just be a country club like that's all it was supposed to be but Mm -hmm. just um the golf the golf guests wanted their own resort getaway and Mm -hmm. so that's why they ended up making it the golf resort so i thought um i thought that was interesting another site or another source said that it was because they needed extra overflow rooms Mm -hmm. whenever the contemporary Polynesian and Fort Wilderness, you know, were booked up. So 
I think it makes I think it makes a ton of sense, right? Because we know that Walt Disney World was super super popular early on. 1973, Mm -hmm. of course, it's only getting more and more popular every single year um, as more and more people are hearing about how great Walt Disney World is. They needed these extra rooms. The golf course was already popular. Um, We did see and as you can assume um, this was a favorite spot for executives. So it kind of made sense and then became a favorite spot for them to stay because it was quieter. They could brush up Mm -hmm. on their golf game. They could maybe, you know, golf and have lunch with, with other, um, you know, business partners that they needed to meet with. Um, so it really does make sense on so many levels. And a lot of the different things I was reading said that back in the day, it was never really as showy as like the contemporary or the Polynesian, much more relaxed, quieter, and that there was a lot less marketing behind this resort. So I think that overflow that Kate was talking about also makes sense because if you're using this as like a hidden gem slash overflow, you're not going to want to be pushing it and pushing it in the media or in ads because you don't want a ton of people staying there. So I feel like that kind of makes sense. And it really was like this hidden gem back in the 70s. And the signage was so cool. So very 70s. Well, plus there was only so much you could do at Walt Disney World at this time. So those who were planning to do some golf while they were planning their trip, it may have been kind of like an upsell for people of, oh, if you're planning to do a lot of golfing, you may want to stay, you know, over here. It's still right right by the Magic Kingdom near the monorail route, not on the monorail route, but you'll be right on mm-hmm. the courses, you know? Well, that's another thing that I really think is so crazy about this resort is that it is right there. Like the monorail resorts, especially now, all these it years is. later, 50 years later, are still like the most expensive resorts, still where people mm-hmm. want to be. And so it's really, really interesting because this is so close to the Magic Kingdom. So it really is a very prime spot. When we stayed um, for our Magic Kingdom days, or probably our Epcot days as well, I remember us just taking the leisurely stroll across the street to the Polynesian and just getting on the monorail. Like, that's what we did. I was Mm -hmm. only probably, um, you know, eight or so. But I remember the big group of all of us that were going where we just take that little short walk to the pond. It was so quick and so simple. Mm-hmm. And like you said, there wasn't any hustle and bustle. And, and you that still was see even people taking that walk. Like even yeah. now, because oh, yeah. we drive, pa- I pa- drive past Shades of Green all the time. You still see people kind of walking over to the Polynesian, uh, walking, yeah, over to the Polynesian from Shades of Green. Um, and so I think this was like a really cool, fun, like picture, like golf in the 70s and that's what you had it was a cozy place probably and and they said like a favorite for executives like the Disney executives were there all the time um they did have restaurants on the property Mm -hmm. so back in the Mm -hmm. 70s I saw one online commenter like commenting on one of the stories I was reading for research that Mm -hmm. they had went to the restaurant in the 70s and they remember eating oysters Rockefeller so the menu was probably very very classic 70s um and that there was breakfast and dinner were served in the trophy room which was the restaurant um and breakfast and dinner were served with like a wait staff and then lunch was like a buffet lunch 
Yeah, I, I found um, a little bit about the trophy room, like a few things that I thought were pretty cool. One, Talk to me. You know I love foodies. So. Yes, I literally <laughs> wrote this down because of you, and I'm going to include a link that had kind of like a menu of stuff they had at I the trophy the room. I love the old Disney menus. I should look so, through that book, that like eat like Walt book, to see if they have any menus from Shades of Green, or just for future episodes. I always forget about that as a resource, but I love menus, old Disney menus. So um, the trophy room, it was, I found out it was actually featured as one, one of the first like daily character dining events. Yes, um, I saw Back that. in April of 1981, um, they announced something called Dining a la Disney Evening Meal. And starting at 5 p.m., Disney characters would mingle with the guests in wow. the, the trophy room and they would give um, each of the kids a gift I don't know it was probably just something small maybe like an autograph card or something I'm assuming but I thought that was kind of a cool thing and that's still five years before it would make the name change to the Disney Inn so mm-hmm. um maybe they just felt the need this this would have fallen about a year before Epcot opening though so maybe they were just trying to offer more more at that time that's what i was thinking was that yeah this is right before epcot is opening i wrote this down and i said accord that this was one of the earliest mentions of character dining that Mm -hmm. the person who wrote this article could find which i thought was interesting because this is 1981 so you'd think like cinderella's royal table crystal pat like i feel like i wish it was easier to like restaurants at Disney I feel like are so hard to find history on and then the menus and the exact specifications of what was offered is even more difficult so like I wish I could find a little bit more but that's so cool I know Chef Mickey's the original Chef Mickey's that was over in the um like old downtown before it was downtown Disney Village whatever it was Village Mm -hmm. Marketplace that was also known as like one of the originals so maybe this one fell before that or Mm -hmm. maybe so like right in that same but it definitely was one of the first but yeah one of the first for sure and it is Um, interesting I thought the same thing that they were it kind of seemed like maybe beefing up the offerings because Epcot was coming yeah that's what I was thinking people want to come back I I thought that was really cool so, and then I found out that uh, apparently they were known for their three fondue experiences that they had. They had what? a cheese fondue, a combination fondue dinner, which included like beef, chicken, and I mm-hmm. believe fish is what I heard. And then um, they also had a fondue dessert. So kind of like you're talking about with the oysters, Rockefeller, like um, so they were 70s. saying it had a lot of like... Like, it was nicer food and, like, experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they said the Players Gallery, which was right off of the trophy room, is where players could go after playing around and they could get drinks. They had, like, all sorts of mixed drinks that had golf-type names. Yes, I love those. And I thought that was fun. Um, I also found that apparently the golf resort had the Walt Disney World's first heated pool, which, again, for me, is wild because... The other two were such big resorts, but maybe mm-hmm. again they were like, "Well, these are executives staying here. Yeah. These are like it, it's a smaller pool, so it'd be easier to heat." You know and what again, I mean? Maybe like, it was people like people who were coming, like they're coming for the parks, yes, but really more for the golf because people who are yeah. super into golf, and I'll get into in a moment, like some of the things that they offered. Mm-hmm. But oh, yeah. it was probably like a way of being like we have more in the Disney portfolio than just Walt Disney World, which is messaging that we see all the time now, but wasn't oh, as yeah. popular back then. And I feel like people who are 
golfers are typically like if you're going on a Disney vacation with the main priority to golf, a heated pool kind of makes sense. Fancier food makes sense. Executives yeah, exactly. Makes sense. It was definitely hosting like a executives. Club vibe. Yeah, hosting executives from other places that were working with Disney, especially at this time as they're about to open Epcot, and we know that they were working with all those pavilions. Like makes sense. So. They also had bar and lounge spaces. So as Kate was talking about the drinks, that was like the players gallery, which was the bar. And then they had something called a tournament room where I saw like up to 40 people could be there and it was like a private space. So that's Mm -hmm. really cool too. And again, kind of makes me think, especially when we're talking about Epcot being built and back then they were working with so many different people to make these pavilions happen. I could, I bet so many things happened in that tournament room. But as I was saying, the um, offerings for golfers was that golfers could sign up for something called the golf studio and they could have their swings taped and analyzed and they could rewatch them, which to think like back that far, I feel like that's pretty cool. Cause it's not just like now right. where you could film it on your it phone was- really easily. So that seems pretty like ahead of its time. To oh me. yeah, yeah. I when I found out about that, um, because they had a little bit on it in the first decade book, and then when I was watching another video about it, the guy went into detail about it a little bit more. But yeah, the the videotaping of the swings, I feel like that was probably a major like technological offering for golfing, you know, techniques back then because they said um they'd have you know, um, golf experts analyze, like sit with you and analyze the footage on your swings. And they would even give you, um, an audio cassette with the suggestions that they made for you. So So that way, when you go back out, you have that record of like what they went over with you after. Um, and I, I know in the first decade book, they were also saying how they had, you know, instructional levels for all Mm ages, all ages and skill level, which again, I guess would sound like an obvious thing for a golf resort but for me who I'm not into golf I was like that's really well, also, cool I that think, people could go and do that I think what I learned from reading about it is I thought it was like called like the golf resort because like it was on the golf courses, the golf courses and it was yeah. just like a nice resort but right. in the research it was really like I don't want to say golf themed because that almost cheapens it but it was like a country club at a golf course that was super nice and you could also stay there like everything yes. was yeah. centered around golf but it wasn't like tacky like and Tacky these rooms were way, the largest like, rooms, yes, too. Yeah. Um, you know, I think they said, I mean, maybe not with newer resorts now, but they were saying, like, they were definitely the largest rooms even back when Shades of Green made it switch over. It was mm-hmm. like, I think they were almost 500 square feet, which my wow. house is 1,500 square feet. So that's pretty, that's, that's a pretty big room, I feel like. Yeah, for a hotel. it really is. Um, they also had the Wii Links for kids, which was it was for a fee but um it was it was cool that they had an offering for kids as well because you know i can Mm -hmm. totally imagine dads and maybe even moms and dads that are both into golf like totally being engrossed in the golf stuff and then Mm -hmm. being able to offer something for kids as well i think was a smart move yeah i think it was just really 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 cool the golf resort was such a like a moment in time and it was around for quite a while so it opened in 1973 and then it would switch over in 1986. So it was there for quite a little bit of time. Kate, I don't know if you're ready to jump to the next iteration, but it definitely had so much more to offer than I thought. And it's so cool to see the pictures. It was definitely, again, like that country club vibe of like big open windows so they could see out onto the golf course and, you know, lunches where you could see out onto the golf course and um, a fine dining experience, which it's really cool to see that Disney was offering things like this basically from the very beginning. Yeah. 
All I wanted to add before we switch gears is just like a little bit of the details about the resort itself, just from my first decade book that I was reading. Um, it, it, we know it featured the two 18-hole courses. One was the Magnolia course and one was the Palm course. So um, the Magnolia course was actually lined by a thousand Magnolia trees. And then the palm course um, was lined with a thousand palms in 10 different varieties. So I thought that was, again, just like next level of Disney theming. Um, also unofficially, um, my mom, my mom told me that she'd heard that some of the palm trees, I mean, not palm trees, the magnolia trees for the magnolia golf course came from the neighborhood I grew up in, Magnolia Forest, before it became a subdivision. Whoa. I don't know if that's... I, I can't find any actual record of that, but... I, Madre I mean, it would is kind the of record. Track. I was going to say, Madre is always track. right, so sounds yeah. good to me. Yep. I mean, Magnolia... It came from Magnolia Forest. Now it's on a Magnolia... It, it I don't makes know. makes sense. Total sense. I don't know. Could, could be true, could be not. Let's run with it. It's still fun. Madre so. says it. It's true to me. But I thought that was nice, you know, a thousand, like I can hear that in like the marketing, you know, lined by a thousand magnolia trees, our magnolia golf course, you know, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, I feel the like details. the marketing of Disney Inn was, I'm, I'm sorry, Disney, the Disney Golf Resort was very, very interesting um, because it wasn't like highly marketed, but I feel like they marketed it to the right people, which was like people who they wanted to come to Disney to spend money executives, executives at other companies, and it was kind of kept on the low and offered this premium experience, and it really was great. Um, And then on February 1st, 1986, it would reopen as the Disney Inn. Um, So this was expanded. They added over 100 rooms. It became a 288-room resort, which is still on the smaller side for Disney hotels, even back then, but, you know, bigger. Um, And then... They also, it was like lightly Snow White inspired, so not like crazy hotel theming, but they Mm -hmm. wanted to attract more than just golfers. I feel like Mm -hmm. this timeline really makes sense because this is like four years after Epcot opened. Um, You know, River Country was near there. This was a time when Disney was really that vacation kingdom. It was super popular. And as we talked about, this is a really prime location for a hotel, like right near the monorail, right near Magic Kingdom. And back then, it was just the monorail, Magic Kingdom, Epcot, you know, in 1986. And so I think it really, really um, made sense that they were like, okay, this golf thing has been great, but let's maybe expand a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I was just double-checking timeline too, but Mikey had been in CEO position for well over a year and a half now too. So like I, I could see him being like, okay, we've gotten some things done. Golf what can we cool. do about this resort? Like what can we do about this resort to Disney it up? Let's call mm-hmm. it the Disney Inn. Let's just go for it. Mm-hmm. So, 100%. Um, I feel like yeah. they definitely were trying to, and that's something that was mentioned in articles as well, which is a part of the marketing. And as Kate mentioned, really ties into what Mikey was all about. Like he wanted everything to feel Disney. So the golf mm-hmm. resort was really, again, a high-end country club. It had some Disney elements. They, of course, had the character dining. But he was like, no, the Disney Inn, let's go for it. Um, and I think it really made sense for this time. Um, I did. I always remember when I first learned about the Disney Inn, it was back when I worked at Club 33. We had a guest who became a really good friend who had stayed there. And um, Oh, cool. 
when he he came in one day and he left us all like really old maps and um, some little booklets from the Disney Inn from wow. his trip back in the day. Um, and so that was really cool. I feel like maybe in our first ever maps episode, I had some of that. Um, and I, I wish I had it now, but it was really cool. It was like this little tiny book and it was basically for the Disney Inn and had a lot of details about what was at the inn. It was like white and green. Um, but, you know, this was such a fun time and I feel like it was still a pretty sweet quaint little resort yeah I um I found this well it's actually two articles I found these two really cool articles with Jim Corcus the Mm -hmm. Disney historian um, where he got to interview he got to interview someone who worked at the front desk of the Disney Inn yeah I saw that Rich Cullen and um he had a lot of insight about like what the resort was like and so I'm gonna leave both of the links in the show notes because I didn't want to like list off everything but I I tried to pull stuff that I thought was interesting and um I I thought it was fun how they worked the like the with the logo for the resort was sleepy like with a little candle like he's going off to bed that was Mm -hmm. like the that was the whole vibe and they had that in the patches on their uniforms and stuff like that as well um so I thought Mm -hmm. that was fun that they like worked that into the theming and then I saw that um at Christmas time, apparently they would have uh, Dopey and Snow White make nightly appearances in the lobby. So I Very thought that cute. was another like fun, unique thing. I can imagine that happening now at like Wilderness Lodge or something, mm-hmm. since they're kind of pushing that over there with that right, new with dining. Point. Yeah, it, but um, I, I can't imagine how cool it must have been for people to come in and they could, you know, meet Snow White and Dopey right there. Um, and then. One of the things he talked about is, like, some of the celebrities that he saw over the years from the hotel. Um, So he said he saw um, actor Robert Conrad, um, animator Bill Justice, um, Samuel E. Wright, who was the voice of Sebastian in The Little Mermaid. And he Mm. said that – he said apparently – Samuel would come to the front desk and talk to him like in the late hours of the night, like midnight when no one was around so he could talk. And um, he was telling the front desk guy, oh, yeah, I play the crab in the new Disney movie. And the guy hadn't seen the movie. So he's just like, oh, that's nice. It's like this big deal movie. Mm -hmm. And he's just like, yeah, I play the crab, you know. And um, he said Joe Shapiro was there. And then um, I actually, I saw this in the interview here, but then I saw it again in my new 50th uh, coffee table book Mm -hmm. that they talked about it there that apparently John Hench, Disney legend, he loved the Disney Inn because of the quietness and the serenity of it. Mm -hmm. Um, He stayed there pretty regularly, but um, Rich specifically talked about how at night he would get, um, John Hench would get Toll House cookies and milk. And he said (laughs) when he saw each night, so whenever he saw uh, John Hench later at Pleasure Island doing a tour with like some young Imagineers, he went up and introduced himself again and said, you know, I used to work at the front desk at the Disney Inn. And, um... Hench's face like immediately lit up and he was like, I sure do miss those cookies. So like Aww. he still thought about like the That's cookies so at the Disney Inn. It definitely yeah, seems like a higher end. Like again, it was kind of the yeah. same vibe as the golf resort in that it was like a hidden gem, but really, really nice. Um, from the mm-hmm. travel brochures, there are quotes. Um, and I think it's from the same article Kate is talking yes, about, but they quoted travel brochures. <laughs> yeah. Tucked away in a quiet corner of the world is an enchanted inn of incomparable delights. The Disney Inn boasts all the luxuries of 
the more famous Walt Disney World Resort accommodations with an equally renowned location minutes from the Magic Kingdom and Epcot Center. So it's talking about that it has luxuries. It's acknowledging that it's like not the most famous, you know, of all the Disney resorts. Um, And it goes on to say, in the mood for tennis, fine dining, a siesta poolside, we've got it all. In fact, we've become the in um, place to stay at the world's greatest resort. Just ask any (laughs) of our guests who return to us again and again. So I think that it was really fun that it was still, like, the Disney Inn was more Disney-fied, definitely more um, Mikey, but it was also still small and beloved and, like, yeah, I think that was really cool. Yeah, and Rich did say that, like, you know, there were some nods to Snow White in the room, kind of like what we were talking about, but it wasn't, like, in your face. He said specifically that there was artwork that kind of had, um, like, I guess, he made it sound like it's maybe, like, a piece of artwork that was in the room that had, like, a little bit of Snow White details to it. And he said he hasn't seen anything showing what that imagery looks like since he said his sister-in-law took a picture of it and so he has it from that but basically it had like um you know the queen's box where snow white's heart was supposed to be and it had like a cuckoo clock and like all these little details in the image um but he said other than that it was like pretty simplistic um you know in design it wasn't like in your face Snow White and the Seven Doors. And he said his favorite thing about working that job was getting to actually, like, connect with the guests based on, I guess, how small the resort was. So when they would come back for the night, he was able to say, you know, Mr. Johnson, how did you like, you know, the palm course? Like, how did you end up like, Mm -hmm. oh, how was uh, your luau at the Polynesian, you know, to this family? So it was kind of cool. And I'm sure for the guests, too, it was so nice that the front desk worker remembered where they were going for dinner that night or whatever. They they also used to, like, deliver all their tickets and everything they needed Mm -hmm. in, like, a big, like, metal box and deliver it to their rooms and I feel like it's just a level of service that we maybe don't really see at Disney very much anymore I also um one of the videos I watched and I'm gonna leave the link in the show notes they were talking about how they had one of the first computer systems on Mm -hmm. property that were like accurate of when rooms were available where like with the click of a mouse that people could figure it out versus like I guess in the other resorts it was based on the room service to keep it up to date or whatever but I I thought that was interesting. I know this probably sounds stupid but it probably you don't think about I feel like sometimes what things were like before computers and that's crazy to think about like how the heck did you know what rooms were available like do you imagine having to keep track of that on like a pen and paper. Hey everyone, it's Epcot Adam here, just letting you know that we had some technical difficulties while recording this episode, so everything you hear after this point was recorded on a separate day about a week later. If there's any overlap in what you hear subject-wise, we are genuinely, truly very sorry, but we hope you love the episode. Yeah, so the Disney Inn is really, really cool. And I think the most important thing that we learned about the Disney Inn throughout doing research for this episode is that, you know, the Disney Inn is kind of like a footnote. Like, I feel like everyone Mm -hmm. talks about the iterations of Shades of Green from the past as if it was just 
you know, like, oh, it was this. And then it was the Disney Inn. It was a golf resort. Then it was the Disney Inn. Now it's Shades of Green. And then they go on to talk about everything Shades of Green is. Um, But I think oftentimes these two really cool, really unique opening, you know, time properties are kind of forgotten. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I feel like, kind of like you said, that it's we just really hear about Shades of Green. They kind of just name the other two versions of the resort and like bada bing, bada boom, some golf is involved, that's it. But <laughs> I feel like we learned a lot more just from researching for this topic. So. Yeah, it makes me honestly want to stay there. I can't believe how, even more, because I can't believe how old this resort is. I feel like when we talk about opening day things and 50th anniversary things, um, Shades of Green is really kind of left off the list. Mm-hmm. Right. It really no is kind of a best it. kept secret for the military, you know. Yeah. And that leads us into Shades of Green today. Yes. Yes. So in the early 90s, um, the ar- Army officials were deciding to build a new armed forces recreational center in the U.S. Um, mm-hmm. They already had three existing, um, but they, with so many people coming back, like so many military people coming back home after Desert Storm, they really wanted to have a vacation destination for them that was within the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um So they put out um, an advertisement that they were looking for um, a local business community where they could lease to the Army, um, and they had more than 40 responses um, before deciding on Walt Disney World's Disney Inn, which is crazy. I can't even imagine in that time frame 40, like, you know, local business communities in that area. You know what I mean? That that I could think yeah. of. And were they all in the Orlando area, Kate, when you say 40 different? Or was I it mean, across the United States? Uh, from what I understand, it had to be close to Orlando because, because they had said yeah. they wanted Orlando. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess probably like maybe within an hour of Orlando. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And Disney is kind of like, I mean, think about it. That is like the best of the best in Orlando. And I think it really makes sense when we look back at the company's history. They've mm-hmm. always kind of had a really good partnership with the military back to when Walt was helping to make wartime cartoons so I think it's a really good fit and I still know today like it's just a partnership that makes sense because Disney still to this day does a lot of things to honor the military to honor America and so I feel like what a better place than to have what a better place for people to be able to get away after serving our country than somewhere that's just like magical and you can kind of escape the realities Mm -hmm. of the real world And it was, of course, obviously a win for everybody across the board. And we're going to talk about Mm -hmm. that in a second. But like, especially for Disney as a company um, Mm -hmm. to be able to have this be like be the home of the fourth, um, you know, Armed Forces Recreational Center that they've created. And the first one that's like in the main, you know, continental United States because um, Hawaii is one. But I mean, that's not immediately easily accessible for everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not close to anyone. So um, and, you know, with. Their recent competition down the street, Universal, you know, two years prior to that, um, because this happened in 92, it was a big deal that they could go ahead and, like, secure all that extra business on property. Mm -hmm. You know, they're much more likely to eat and go to the parks there and things like that. Also, you know, just all in all, it was a great effort on their part. We, We know they were doing a lot of other you know service projects things like that so it i feel like it was like you said perfectly in line for them to 
be this home away from home for the military through Shades of Green. Yeah. And so um, in 1996, the resort was, oh, I was about, <laughs> I was literally was just reading all the way ahead to 1996. Sorry, yeah, you guys. Okay. Um, but back in 1994, the U.S. Department of Defense leased the resort and the land it sat on for a hundred year lease to the Morale, wow. Welfare and Recreation Program. Um And it limited the resort to eligible active and retired military personnel. So really cool 100-year lease. That's, I mean, a pretty long time. That shows that they were really, really confident that this was going to be successful. And... Of course, it was. And, you know, just two years later, the resort was purchased outright by the DOD for $43 million due to how popular it was. So the reason they bought it instead of continuing the lease was that it was such a success in the sense of that it was always 100% at capacity. I think they said within um, the first eight months of this opening in 1994, Mm -hmm. it was at full capacity constantly. But, um, you know, the military members that were staying there were paying a much lower rate to stay there than the previous Disney Inn prices. So while it was always full and technically it was helping Disney, the military was actually a million dollars in the red after the first year of this lease. So they did the math and realized it would make more sense financially to just go ahead and buy the hotel itself outright, not the land it's leased on, but like the hotel. And, um, you know, it would be a big, it would be a big investment up front, but moving forward, it would make the most sense financially. Um, Just to put it in perspective, the Disney Inn rates were between $180 to $215 a night, and Shades of Green rates at that time were $49 to $92 a night, and it was depending on rank. So if you were a private, you were paying closer to the $49 a night rate, whereas Mm -hmm. if you were like higher commanding officers, you were paying the $92 a night rate. Wow. Which yeah. again, I wasn't expecting that. I would think yeah. like again, I feel like It'd a lot of opposite. places do it the opposite and the people yeah. who are higher up Me get too. the cheaper rate, which doesn't really make sense because they're probably be making more money. So I really like that the pricing was very like equitable that they yeah, said, okay, good if job, you're, Disney. well, I think that was good job, Department of Defense, right? Yeah, I yeah, think it was good job, Department, Department of, Defense. of Defense. Well, isn't it crazy to th- say like too, like, yeah, there's a piece of military owned property at Walt Disney World because Shades of Green is owned by the Department of Defense but Disney still of course owns the land on which the resort sits which is very very common that's kind of what they do at Golden Oak but it's kind mm-hmm. of crazy to think about the fact that the US military owns something on Disney property. Yes, it really is like and again I feel like unless you know about this, and by know about it, I mean like you have you're in the military, or you have a family member who's in the military, or friends who's mm-hmm. in the military. Like you would not know no, that that was happening. You don't really drive past it on any no. of the Disney buses. It's really really close, as we mentioned earlier, to you know the monorail loop. It's a prime location, and that kind of speaks to the fact that this was a really 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 early on hotel. Um, but you won't pass it unless you're going there or you live locally, you know, maybe if you're really paying attention and you're going to the Grand Floridian, maybe you would pass it. But most of the time, you're not going to pass it on a Disney bus. And so you would really have no Yeah. And even if you do, like you said, you would probably 
you probably don't even see the sign shades of green if do you're like Mm -hmm. what's shades of green oh well you know like back to my Disney (laughs) vacation um yeah no it's it's true it really is like a wild concept and the fact that here we are um you know wow 30 years later since Mm -hmm. they initially were have the all call for an Orlando property and um you know it's still all, as far as I know, it's still always basically at capacity. Yeah, they have no absolutely. problem filling it. Everyone I know that has stayed there loves it. You know, and aren't the rooms like blessing. huge? They they are um, pretty big for Disney rooms. I think maybe some of the obviously some of the Disney Vacation Club rooms mm-hmm. are bigger now. But yeah, I mean they were from what I understand they were all about like four hundred and eighty to five hundred square feet, which. Um, it's, it's pretty nice sized room, you mm-hmm. know, compared to some of the other rooms on property. I know that um, when we were talking about Disney Inn, uh, Rich, one of the things he said is when he went to go work at Wilderness Lodge later, when that opened in 94, he noted how the rooms at the Disney Inn were so much bigger than mm-hmm. the Wilderness Lodge, which was a that's brand crazy. new hotel. Yeah, so. that's insane. And so... You know, Shades of Green did so well that they purchased it in 1996, and then in 2002, the resort closed for almost two years, and they added 298 new rooms plus a new restaurant and the first parking garage on Disney property. So that really goes Mm -hmm. to show that they really needed a lot more space. Um, And I think, Kate, that's when you, you stayed. They did... Basically, during that time, they had rooms blocked at the Contemporary for guests who would have been able to stay at Shades of Green, which, again, shows that Disney really is invested in this partnership in the long term, I think. It was a very seamless thing, at least for me as an 8 to 10 year old when I stayed. It was really, it was really like one year we stayed at Shades of Green, the next year we stayed at the Contemporary. And I said, why are we staying at the Contemporary? And they said, because Shades of Green is getting renovated. And it was great. And um, seeing the, seeing the information about um, the fact that they set up, you know, like their ticket stand area in that, and they devoted that specific um, wing of the Contemporary, the North Garden wing to the military for that period of time. I mean, I like you said, I think that is just above and beyond from Disney. And that area is now where Bay Lake Tower is today. So that would mm-hmm. later be Gonzo and becomes, uh, you know, Dunzo. <laughs> it was Dunzo. It became uh, Bay Lake Tower. So um, for me, that was intriguing to read on the Shades of Green site because I've always just assumed the other garden rooms that are still there right now at contemporaries where I always stayed. I was like, oh, that must be where I stayed. But now it's confirmed I stayed in a place that no longer exists, which is kind of cool. That's really, no, that's really, really cool. Anytime you can do something that like doesn't exist at Disney anymore is always really cool. I guess that would be my fun uh, electrical water pageant and Shades of Green story though, is that when we stayed in those rooms, we were right on the water and like, you could not go to sleep because that for, that water pageant was playing. I'm so jealous. Blaring. My, the first night we were like, this is so cool. And my parents by were like, oh, that's time. nice. And then like <laughs> by the time we were done with the trip, my parents were like, oh, every night. <laughs> like, <laughs> we can't go yeah, to the bed. First night, the first night it's fun and the yeah. second night it's like, mm. Yeah. 
I wonder if when you stayed over there, you had the same amazing theme park view that we had when we stayed at Bay Lake Tower, where you could see just the tippity toppity of the the spire of you Space know, Mountain and I the tennis courts. I think we were only on like the first or second floor. I remember that much that it was like, and our view was literally just the lake. And we were thrilled about that because again, we had the water pageant for that right. first night. We were thrilled. After that, my parents were like, no, go to sleep. Like we're closing the <laughs> curtains. Pretend you can't hear it. Like it's right. time for bed. If, if you think you heard it, no, you didn't. <laughs> you didn't. <laughs> um, it reopened two years later, so that's kind of a long downtime, but it reopened with 586 guest rooms, a new Italian restaurant, a fitness center, bigger ticket sale area. So it really opened with a, a ton of new things. And, you know, they didn't stop there. They have continued to grow the resort. Um, and I did read on their website that in 2004, those new guest rooms were the same size as the original rooms. So on their website, it also confirms the Shades of Green is widely recognized as offering the most spacious rooms at mm-hmm. Disney World. Um, Wow. In 2009, they did the Magnolia Wing guest room corridors and bathroom renovations. They added a store and renovated and expanded a store in 2013. Pool renovation in 2013. Pond pool renovation with a new water slide in 2014. Wow. Adding a Starbucks in 2014. Oh, yeah. Um, of course. The, the last thing they did was that Gotta the entire the resort exterior was painted in 2019 so so they you know they really have kept up with the property over the years and have made sure that it's a really really nice place to stay and honestly um you know considering the time frame that that it was when they decided to close down for their renovation that was a smart move strategically Mm -hmm. because we were experiencing that tourism crash that lasted a few years so from 2002 to 2004 if somebody's coming to visit great go stay at that one wing if it's booked it's booked if it's not it's not you know so i I think that was a great use of that that time um and what a what a huge blessing it's been for the military who have gone to stay since, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I would love to just go walk the property now to mm-hmm. see how Me different too. it is. Just to go to walk around. It, it's just, it's so cool to hear all the history that happened there. And it's so crazy because I even knew what Shades of Green was. And I really did not ever know about how interesting this mm-hmm. place was. I guess we should talk about the name Shades of Green. Um, mm-hmm. So they had to come up with a name that could tie in both Disney and the military. So they settled on Shades of Green because at that time, all of the uniforms of the different branches of the military had some sort of green in it. So Shades of Green. But then also it sits between two lush green PGA golf courses. So there you go. It, it covers it covers both. Um, all the bases. I thought that was fun. Because I never thought about it. I just knew I was going to stay at Shades of Green. But I think it's fun that they did a nice creative name that plays on both. Especially considering the two names it had prior. You know, like Mm -hmm. the Golf Resort and the Disney Inn. Like, they were not the most creative. Yeah, they were just like, slap a name on there. The Golf Resort. (laughs) Slap a name on there. Someone got paid to come up with the Golf Resort. (laughs) (laughs) We're not hiding any details about this thing. It's golf it or nothing. It's golf or nothing. Golf. Yeah, they wanted people to know, like, do not come here thinking you're going to do anything else. Like, this is the quiet resort for golfers. Yeah. It is. It is. Yeah, so, I mean, that, I, I like we said already, I think the biggest blessing about covering this so far is that 
I had an excuse to look even deeper into the golf resort and the mm-hmm. Disney Inn because both of these are literally just a footnote anywhere. Um, mm-hmm. I looked at I looked at yeah. a few of the different Disney books. I know we both watched a bunch of videos and read a bunch of articles. And I, I think that that interview that Jim Corcus did alone was so intriguing to get like that one-on-one experience with the guy who worked there because mm-hmm. there there really isn't much about Disney Inn. You know what I mean? Like there really isn't much mm-hmm. out there. So yeah. um, so anyway, this was a really fun one. This and was it, such a fun one. I love our a, resort ones. Me too. And it was a topic that was um, suggested to us by one of our e-ticket patrons. So wow, how fun. We love that. Um, I do love that. I feel like we're going to end up covering every resort eventually. Um, I, really I sure hope so. Me too. If you guys want to see us cover resorts, please let us know. Also, if any of you are staying (laughs) at Shades of Green in the near future, can we just come hang and get lunch? Yeah, we just want to hang out. We just want a little tour. Let's get a Starbucks. Let's go. We'll get some Starbies, some Buckies, as my husband likes to say. Um, And we can go and get lunch and you can give us a tour because I have not been in 20 years and I want to go so bad. I have not been in more than 20 years. (laughs) I have not been ever. ever. So let's do this. So I guess on that note, we should talk about the fact that Adam's favorite number is five. five. So we are still collecting those five-star reviews. As our Lyft driver said in Anaheim, we are collecting five-star reviews. So if you have not left us a review on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts, if you've only left us one on one and not on the other, this is the time. Go get the other one. I would love for us to hit 100 reviews um, by our second anniversary, which is April 4th, I believe. So if we can make that happen, I I would be a very happy camper. Um, so yeah. Make that two sh- happy campers. Make that three happy campers. So for Adam, <laughs> if not any other reason... Five stars. For the yeah, you cans and it all. <laughs> five stars, please. Okay, that's all I Adam deserves that. it. Adam deserves it, you guys. He, he really does, okay? Yeah, Thanks. that's that's. I think that's all we have for this episode. So as always, if y'all want to come talk to us, if you want to invite us to Shades of Green, or if you want to have a little <laughs> kiki, whatever it is, mm-hmm. we are always looking mm-hmm. out for your DMs. You can message us at Carousel Project Podcast on Instagram. And keep on sharing us with your friends and family. We're almost done with season five, which is wild to think, but there's so many good episodes coming up. Yes. And like we just previously said, we have a Patreon. And on that Patreon, you get extra content. You get five-minute previews of these episodes. You get bonus episodes. Um, And as of last season, you get the opportunity to vote on one of the topics for this season. So like we said um, in a previous episode, the history of pin trading was voted on by our e-ticket patrons. Um, we so what much could be appreciate. Than that? I I can't think of a thing. So um, <laughs> season six is coming up. So if you want to be is insane, if you want to be in that. that number and be a part of that voting process, a part of history, ahead. a part of history, our history. We're we're a Disney history podcast, (laughs) and you could be a part of our Disney history podcast. Exactly. So if you want to be a part of it, then go ahead and check the link in our show notes and go ahead and join. Uh, We would so much appreciate having you. And that is that on Patreon. This was another 
fantastic episode of the Carousel Project podcast. Thank you so much for listening and for being a part of it. We appreciate all of you. We love you so much. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Watch out. Love you. Bye. Take care. I thought you had five minutes just this once for me as a friend.